0: So one of the most successful and one of my favorite actor-director duos in Hollywood, still to this day, is Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio. Of course, when you think of those two, you think of The Wolf of Wall Street, you think of, well, at least I think of Shutter Island, uh, The Departed, Gangs in New York, Aviator. And uh, they actually have a film coming out. Well, it's supposed to come out at the end of this year, although I think it's probably going to be delayed because I've... Last time I checked, I don't think they were even done shooting the film, and that's Killers of the Flower Moon. So they're still in the midst of production for that film. But now it's been reported that DiCaprio and and uh, Scorsese have signed on for another film that's going to come out. I imagine probably 2024, and it's based off of a it's based off of a novel called The Wager: A Tale of Shipwreck, Mutiny, and Murder. Um, and they've signed on together. That's going to be an Apple an Apple TV exclusive film, I believe. Sorry if you just saw me spit that ice cube out. I don't wanna chew that into the mic and people listening are just gonna hear this, like, uncomfortable sound. But anyways, so this article comes from Screener. It kind of goes in depth on this development. So uh, this is from them, quote, it has now been announced that DiCaprio, Leonardo DiCaprio and Martin Scorsese are developing their seventh movie. THR, they're referring to the Hollywood Reporter, broke the news that Scorsese is set to produce and direct The Wager, which DiCaprio will also produce and star in. The movie is an adaptation of the newly released book The Wager, A Tale of Shipwreck, Mutiny, and Murder, which was written by Killers of the Flower Moon author David Graham. DiCaprio and Scorsese's new movie will release through Apple Original Films, as I just mentioned, but no release date has been announced. It is also unknown when filming will begin. And that, of course, came from ScreenWrite, and then they also said to kind of solidify what I was saying earlier now the pairing just needs to finish killers of the flower moon to shift their focus to their new movie Uh, let me see Uh, yeah so very exciting Um, and I have sort of a little synopsis here as to what the actual story of this book is about Um, set in the 1740s Wager's story is set in motion when a patched together boat with 30 emaciated men lands on the coast of Brazil the men were the surviving crew of a British ship that was chasing a Spanish vessel and had crashed onto an island in South America's, of my pronunciation, Patagonia region. Their tales of surviving the season elements made them heroes. So that, of course, came from The Hollywood Reporter. So this is unlike really any role that I can remember to my knowledge that DiCaprio has done. And in terms of Scorsese, I don't think he's told any stories like this before. Uh, this sounds like... I I don't want to say like a lost at sea because clearly from the description, they, they, they find land, they, they find refuge. Um, and essentially it sounds like it's almost like an adventure film kind of, uh, from what I'm first glance reading. And that sounds pretty interesting. I, I think, uh, I mean, if we just look at, you know, the numbers, the box office, I think they have a successful working relationship. And I think the studio of course benefits from that very much. And I think they probably just enjoy working with each other. But now let's actually shift gears and look at Killers of the Flower Moon because I've talked about this before. I've mentioned how this is one of my most anticipated uh, films that's going to, that's slated to come out this year. However, that could very well change. And there's only there hasn't been any trailers. There hasn't been any anything. There's only been one photo that we've seen, and it shows uh, like a dinner table with DiCaprio and uh, Robert De Niro as well. Who I just I just forgot and remembered that he's also in this film. So, and of course we all, it's its one thing to say that DiCaprio and Scorsese have like a sort of dynamic duo relationship when it comes to making films together, but you'd take that a step further when you talk about Robert De Niro and of course Scorsese. I don't even have to go on, Taxi Driver, King of Comedy, you know, the rest is history. Um, but let's, like I said, let's shift gears here. Um... I was kind of skimming through this earlier. It sounds pretty interesting. So Killers of the Flower Moon is based on the uh, the nonfiction book, Killers of the Flower Moon, and once again, part of my pronunciation, the Osage Murders and the Birth of the FBI, uh, investigation of a series of murders and other crimes committed against the Osage people, an indigenous tribe living in Osage County, Oklahoma, in the early 1920s. The story in Killers of the Flower Moon explores how after oil deposits were discovered on their land, the Osage people were illegally entitled to the profits Sorry, we were, were legally entitled to the profits, not illegally, pardon me, that came from the sales thereafter. However, the administrators of the land decided they could simplify their profit monitoring of the oil profits by eliminating the Osage, which would ensure the profits from the oil uh, deposits went straight into their own pockets. And the Osage tribe saw none of it. Okay, so this sounds like a story of just pure genocide, pure greed, pure oppression uh against the indigenous people that of course we've seen throughout history unfortunately it sounds like another another story of the indigenous people being exploited um so that that film will be very interesting and i am looking forward to seeing it and, and you know i just hope that they you know don't which i'm sure they won't martin scorsese says he's a very faithful filmmaker in terms of when he's when he's when he's kind of dealing with subject matter that's you know not not fiction he usually maintains the integrity of whatever said events happen. Although people will argue he kind of skewed away from that a little bit with The Wolf of Wall Street, but that's, you know, that's neither here nor there. But I trust that they're going to be honest and truthful with this story, and they're going to maintain the integrity and not disrespect uh, any of, you know, indigenous culture and things of that nature. So looking very much forward to that, and hopefully we'll be able to see that film by the end of the year. So let me know what you guys think. Are you excited for *Kills of the Flower Moon*? And then if we look even a step further, are you excited for *The Wager*? I'm very much looking forward to *The Wager*. I think uh, it sounds like a very unique story. Sure, we've had stories similar, you know, similar in that nature, um, but I'm excited to see a Scorsese-Dicaprio duo. And also, I'm excited to see once you know time goes on. I'm sure we'll probably hear about other cast members. I'm I'm curious as to who else will be involved in this film. Uh, in terms of actors and actresses. So let me, know, let me know down in the comments, are you excited for this film? And uh, let me know what you think. So I haven't really talked about uh, this specific development on the channel here very much. But for those of you who are aware, um, I think it was either at the beginning of this year or sometime last year, uh, Discovery bought out bought Warner Brothers. And the previous Warner Brothers regime was run by, I think, Jason Collard... And uh, I I can't remember the other individual, but they were the ones that decided to essentially make everything released simultaneously in theaters and on streaming, which of course pissed off a lot of filmmakers. That's why we saw Christopher Nolan jump ship and go to universal. And we, 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 we've heard many people, not even just filmmakers, actors, crew, cast. It's, it only really benefits the streaming company. And even the films that are going to streaming, like the filmmakers aren't happy about it. Right. Because Seeing movies in the theaters—that's how you're meant to see a film, especially a film in grand scale, like a big budget block, big budget blockbuster, or something like that, like a superhero film. Um, that's why when Tenet came out, Tenet's not a superhero film, but I I would consider that film a blockbuster. Uh, Christopher Nolan was very upset because like this film was shot in IMAX, it was it was literally made for the big screen, and it just made no money because it came out, I think, I don't know for sure if Tenet was released simultaneously on HBO Max in theaters, but I it either, it either did or it had a very, very short theatrical window. Like I'm talking like less than 45 days. It was one or the other, but I can't entirely remember. But anyways, ever since then, when Discovery recently bought at Warner Brothers, people have been very excited because the new CEO... Uh, David Zaslav, he has not shied away from cutting projects that were in development that were previously uh, that were previously given the green light by the old regime. Um, he's not afraid to cut content, green light new content, and just basically wipe away plans that were long in development before he uh, he became the new you know CEO of the company. And I think right away it was like a week after the news came out that you know. Warner Brothers uh, was bought up by Discovery. David Zaslav was like, okay, uh, I'm cutting the Wonder Twins movie. We, we heard that the actor, the main actor from Riverdale, which I don't watch that show, but apparently he was cast in it, and I can't remember the the other actors. But that show, or that movie rather, that the movie that was going to release on HBO Max, they cut that out. They cut out um, a couple of other things. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head here. Um, so they cut out the Wonder Twins movie they cut out I'm pretty sure they shelved the the Scooby Doo sequel to the to the animated one that they made a couple of years ago I got to stop doing this I got to stop eating ice or trying to eat ice it's like a natural thing when I drink my iced coffees I don't use a straw I don't there's really no particular reason why I just like to chew on the ice but of course there's a mic in front of me, so that would be pretty um, uncomfortable for people's ears. And who really wants to hear me, too? You know what I'm saying? I don't want to hear myself, too. So, anyways. but uh, So, yeah. Now, this, this, this is pretty unexpected. So, Bad Girl has been a movie that has been deep into production. And, in fact, I think the film is done shooting. Uh, I think they finished months ago. I think they've wrapped. I don't even think that they've done reshoots for the film. I think they've just... Cut. I think they're just in, I think they were just in post-production to be honest and I know they've already done test screenings. and I think I heard some of the reactions were people were confused but I think that had to do with the fact that because of the whole scheduling I think they wanted the flash to come out first but then of course all the Ezra Miller drama was happening and I think that film was going to translate to this film because I think people were confused as to why Michael Keaton was in this film and I think it would have been the context would have been there and people would have understood how they'd seen Flash. But then, of course, I'm not going to get into the whole Flash stuff. But over, aside from the confusion, the reactions from what I've heard seem to be, for the most part, positive. I, I hadn't heard anything saying. It was, like, terrible. Uh, but David Zaslav has decided, well, I'm sure not just him. I'm sure a committee of people probably uh, discussed this decision in length, considered all different outcomes. And I they... I guess they all agree that it's best to just cut the film. Now they're saying shelved. I, I guess that's like a nicer way to say it. But the film is cut; like it's not releasing on HBO Max, and it's not going to theaters. And from what I'm reading here, here I'll just read this article here from uh, from Variety. So. The death of Batgirl on Tuesday sent immediate shockwaves through Hollywood. The film, with a $75 million budget that grew to $90 million due to COVID-related overages, had finished shooting months ago and was in test screenings as directors uh, Adil El El Arbi and Bilal Falal, Falah, pardon my pronunciation, uh, they've, oh, they actually directed *Miss Marvel, I did not know that, and they directed Bad Boys for Life, uh, worked through the post-production process. Star Leslie Grace had given multiple interviews expressing her enthusiasm for landing the title role and working with co-stars Michael Keaton, uh, J.K. Simmons, and Brendan Fraser, which I was was kind of excited to see Brendan Fraser because he made a lot of those big budget blockbuster films when I was a kid. So I grew up watching, of course, The Mummy, uh, Journey to the Center of Earth um in many films like that so i was excited to see him kind of make his, his his theater return uh so that comes from variety and they went on to say several sources noted that batgirl was made under a different regime which is what i talked about earlier headed by jason Kalar and ann sarnoff that was the individual i was trying to remember that was singularly focused on building its streaming service hbo max batgirl found itself on the bad end of that decision apparently neither big enough to feel worthy of a major theatrical release nor small enough to make economic sense in an increasingly cutthroat streaming landscape. So basically what that last little section was saying is that they felt that the film was just not going to be profitable if you also also have to consider marketing. That's an additional, you know, 50 to 70 million dollars on top of that. So it didn't seem like they were entirely confident that this film was going to make a lot of money and and give themselves a pretty uh, favorable return financially and then if you look at the other side streaming uh it's almost like they spent too much money which kind of makes sense so they felt that this film was kind of like wedged right in the middle and i'll be entirely honest with you i wasn't very excited for this film in the first place um i'm not too familiar with leslie grace's work i know that she's from in the heights and i've i actually i do want to watch that i've i've start i've been starting to come around on musicals I've talked about this before. Uh, last year was kind of really my, I don't know, gateway or or uh, introduction to musicals because I love Tick, Tick, Boom. I love West Side Story. So I'm kind of eager to explore that genre of filmmaking and watch other different musicals. And I know In the Heights is apparently very good. So, and I know that she stars in it. So I do want to watch that. Um. And I've, heard, I've, also, I've also heard other reports that the priority that David Zaslav has right now is that he wants to focus on the main staples of the DC Cinematic Universe. Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Green Lantern, which we still have not seen a Green Lantern movie since Ryan Reynolds' uh, movie from way back when. And you know what, that makes sense because right now, I don't even know... I, I I don't I don't even know if I can call it a DC cinematic universe because some films are a part of it and then some films aren't. So there's this like they they, they seem to they seem to like everybody says Marvel has no direction right now I th- I which I I've never bought into that narrative but I I think that very much is true with DC like where where is DC building you know what I'm saying like. There's been reports that you know the Flash will kind of set up Crisis on Infinite Earth and whatnot, but still we we don't we don't have a Batman, right? I, I know there's been talk that Michael Keaton will be the new Batman. However, actually I didn't even write this down, and this just reminded me it's actually been official that Ben Affleck will be shooting uh, has shot scenes already for Aquaman two. So will that be some significant role? I'm probably gonna lean towards a no, but the fact that this guy is still suiting up when years ago we heard that he wasn't passionate about playing the character anymore, and he handed off the reins to for, to Matt Reeves to direct the film and because he he had a whole script for for he had he was originally gonna write produce star, direct the whole nine yards with that film that was supposed to be him versus Deathstroke. and then that fills it away. So it almost seems like he might- This might be wishful thinking. I'm not going to get ahead of myself. Because personally, for me, I'm a huge fan of Ben Affleck. And I I would have no problem having two Batmans simultaneously at the same time. Just like if Andrew Garfield decided to return full-time and play Spider-Man again while we still get Tom Holland MCU films. That personally for me wouldn't be an issue. So I, I'm not. We're ready to go as far as to say that Ben Affleck will be making a full-time return to the role and like getting his own solo film and whatnot. But I think it is worth a conversation, and I think it's pretty interesting that we are seeing him return not only in the Flash, but um but we're seeing him return in Aquaman, so that's pretty interesting. So, but overall, the DC cinematic universe, I feel like it just lacks identity and focus. So I think David Zaslav is trying to course correct it now. Sure. Is this upsetting for the cast and the crew and everybody involved? Absolutely, right? I, You know, I can't even imagine. They probably feel pissed off. They probably feel um, like they just wasted their time. Now, I'm sure all of them are still going to get paid. Otherwise, then some class action lawsuits would kick in. And honestly, I, I'll be honest with you if... Or sorry, I won't be honest. I won't be honest, sorry. I won't be surprised, excuse me, if we hear about some potential you know law lawsuits being threatened because of this because a lot of people worked very very hard on this film and as i mentioned before while i wasn't particularly excited the majority of the reviews coming in it was mostly positive reception other than people saying they were a little bit confused but i don't i just think that had to do with the schedule because i think this film was supposed to come out well, I think we we're supposed to see Flash first, but since we haven't seen that film yet, kind of confused people. So a lot of people involved in this film, and probably most especially the filmmakers and the actors and actresses, they will be pretty pissed off. I would be pretty pissed off if that happened to me. Of course, this isn't like something new. This this has happened many times before in Hollywood. Um, but yeah, pretty shocking. Um, I've seen, I watched the John Campy show, and they referred to, when, when when David Zaslav cuts a project, they they they've sort of adopted this mantra of the axe of Zaslav strikes again. So I did not expect the axe of Zaslav to strike again in this case. I'm going to steal their little quote there. Uh, I, I love I love that show. They're 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 awesome. I, you know the John Campy show. Not to get ahead of myself, but I'm a huge fan of them. But uh, but anyways, let me know what you guys think. Is this surprising news? Are you were you somebody that was really excited for Batgirl, or were you somebody like me that honestly wasn't really excited? Like, yeah, it's cool to hear that Michael Keaton's coming back, and we're still we're still going to see Michael Keaton in the Flash, and maybe even some other projects as well. Uh, but we're not going to be seeing him in uh, Batgirl, nor will we see anything of Batgirl because it's being shelved, which basically means it's being canceled. It's being indefinitely put on hold, let's let's just say. But let me know down in the comments what you guys think about this. So before we transition to the next headliner, I was actually just on my phone and I saw that, while this is a rumor, when I'm about to say to take it with a grain of salt, there's a lot of speculation that very soon, as soon as possibly Thursday, we could hear an announcement that HBO Max will be canceled in its entirety, like the streaming service will be gone. It could either merge into something new that they're doing, or they might just cut it completely and then create a new platform entirely. Who knows? But yeah, that's pretty wild. I was just talking about how David Zaslav is not afraid to make changes and how this was pretty surprising with the Batgirl situation. I think this would be even crazier because if this goes through and they cancel it, I imagine that will also come with the uh, cancellation of a lot of original TV shows that are mainly exclusive to HBO Max so that would be it'd be like a domino effect you'd cut the streaming platform which would that in and of itself is is pretty surprising but then you know subsequently all these other shows would get canceled as well like Barry and all, all kinds of other shows like that um so wow that's I just thought I'd bring that up um I I was just looking at my phone taking a quick break and I saw that and I thought I would mention it here really really quickly but the next headliner uh, it's gonna be about nope now, the movie's now been out for a couple of weeks, so I think it's. I think at this point, it's okay to talk about spoilers. If you haven't seen it, uh, you know I'm sorry. Uh, check back in in about I don't know, let's say ten minutes, uh, eight to ten minutes, and I should be done talking about it. But we'll see how it goes. And I'm gonna talk about the Gordy, Gordy the monkey, and that sort of subplot that happened in the film that had to do with Stephen Young's character. Because I'm he- I'm hearing a lot of chatter and a lot of people saying how. You know, whether it's a friend of mine or just people that I'm I, I'm just seeing on the internet talk about how that part didn't make any sense. What what did it have to do with the story and so on? And look, I've talked about this before. If somebody doesn't like a movie, I'm never going to argue with that. Nor will I look down on them or or will I speak, speak badly of them. You know what I mean? Like if you don't like a movie, that's fine. The only time where I will dispute somebody is if they try and argue that or maybe maybe dispute is the wrong word. Almost like kind of explain it to them. And then maybe... I don't know why I just started there. Explain it to them and then maybe they can change their perspective. It might not change the way they feel about the movie. That's not the goal anytime I'm trying to explain to somebody a certain plot point. It's just like when I understand something or when I know something about, about like let's say, like a plot point of a film. And I'm hearing somebody say like objectively, like, that was wrong or whatever. Then I'll sort of try and correct them, but in in a respectful manner that doesn't come across as like ignorant or like condescending or like, you know, like like I said, these people out there that are these like cinema connoisseurs that just have this like attitude that they're above uh, they're above everybody. Um, I don't approach it in a way like that. So I'm gonna sort of give you my outlook on that subplot with Gordy and the monkey, and I'm gonna explain how I think. It actually makes sense, and it actually kind of plays into the film. Now, it doesn't have a major significant role, and hypothetically, you could eliminate that part, and you could still tell the story, but I think it it, it would raise some questions, right? So, let me just start with this. Uh, let me explain what actually happened in that scene, because a lot of people don't understand why, why the monkey actually went went off and killed everybody. So when the monkey was coming out of that box when they were filming the sitcom, um, a balloon went off, I believe, or so, some loud noise went off. And because, of course, this is a wild animal at the end of the day, it, it startled him. And because it startled him, he pro- he became defensive. And I guess he looked at everyone at that point as a threat. And then he killed everybody. But fortunately, Stephen Young's character was able to hide and he was able to hide under this table. And he was basically the last one left standing. And the monkey noticed Stephen Yun's character, and for whatever reason, he didn't see him as a threat. Um, and then he actually tried to give him props. Now, keep in mind, at this point, this is a predator. This is a wild animal who's clearly lethal. He just killed everybody around Stephen Yun's character. And mind you, Stephen Young's character at this at this point, when they're showing this flashback, he's, he's he's a child actor. He's just a kid. But he sees this monkey coming towards him, and at first, you're fearful that he's going to get hurt. But the monkey lends his hand out for a fist pump. And it's funny because I actually want to talk about that for a second. I speculated way back when, when the trailers came out, that that shot, at the time, I thought it was like a baby's hand fist pumping. What I speculated to be was like a crossbreed between a horse and an alien, which that theory that I had was completely wrong. So... I just want to kind of laugh at myself for a second for that. So we know that that shot was actually the monkey Gordy trying to give a fist pump to, I think his name is Jupe, I think in the film. he's trying to give Jupe a fist pump. So that's what happened in that subplot, right? Now, what I think that did was when we see Steven Young's character and he's running this sort of entertainment, you know, whatever, uh, festival or this presentation, and he's trying to lure the alien, that... You know, to 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 the outside looking in, that is that's not good. That's dangerous, right? That that's a red flag. Why would you do that? This is an unidentified object that you know nothing about. It's it's ignorant to assume that it's not going to approach you with lethal intention, right? But I think what showing what happened to Jupe in his childhood it provides context for that situation because he had this sort of delusional belief that he can sort of mingle with predators and not have to worry about getting himself hurt. So he lured this UFO to this sort of attraction that he was hosting, this sort of, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, this like form of theater, I I guess. I, I don't know, this sort of presentation to the audience, to an audience. And he assumed ignorantly that this alien is going to perform and, and 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 benefit this act that we're trying to do to put on a good show in front of you guys and it's not going to hurt a single soul it's just going to do what i think it's going to do and of course they learn the hard way and everybody dies and everybody gets sucked up but i think that provided context it showed the ignorance that Jupe's character had that stemmed back from his from that childhood trauma when he saw everybody get killed but he was the only one that walked away with no scratches no bruises no nothing and right before the monkey got Gordy got shot in the head by the by the authorities, it almost looked like he he was trying to be friendly with him, or the monkey was trying to be friendly with with Jupe. So that's what I that's how I looked at that situation personally. Now, if you hadn't showed that subplot and you hadn't showed that development with the sitcom and and everybody getting killed by the by the monkey, I think the audience not everybody, but some people, I would have asked a question like, well, what did this character expect? What did what did, what did did Jupe expect? He, he, he's trying to lure an alien, an, an, an extraterrestrial object that he knows nothing about. What did he think was going to happen to everybody? Did he think they were all just going to like shake hands with it? No, of course not. But now that we know that this happened to him, he thinks that he's almost like, He's like this special individual that like almost like a, for lack of a better term, like Tarzan. Tarzan is, is this character that literally lives among the wild, lives among beasts and, 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 and animals that could literally rip up apart any second. But Tarzan, of course, is a fictitious story and he almost becomes one of them. So it's a little bit of a, a that might not be the best example, but that's sort of how I looked at it. He had this delusional belief that he can he can interact with any being on this planet, any creature, any wildlife, and not get hurt. So I think it provided context for that scene in that moment. Uh, but let me know what you guys think. Do you disagree with what I'm saying? Or do you feel differently? Or do you have another theory as to why that scene was even showed in the first place? I'm curious to know. Let me know down in the comments below. A couple weeks ago, I talked about Blonde, which is the newest Netflix biopic coming out that's going to be telling the story of Marilyn Monroe's rise and fall in uh, her fame and her life. And it is a very, very tragic story surrounding Marilyn Monroe. I won't get into the details about it because I talked about it on my last episode. You can check it out. But essentially, she was exploited. She was taken advantage of. And she just she had a very tragic life uh, overall. Um, and there was a short teaser that Netflix released for that film, but now there's actually a full-length proper trailer. We can actually hear uh, Ana de Armas speaking because, of course, she I think she's Brazilian, if I'm not mistaken, so she does have an accent. And there are a few times in the trailer you can hear her accent kind of bleeding in, but for the most part, it wasn't an issue. And I could definitely tell she's been doing some dialect training, and in fact... She's apparently spent nine months preparing just for the dialect alone for this role. So clearly she's been putting in the work, she's been putting in the time and the effort to dedicate herself to this role. And if you just look at her, I think she, you know, they've made her look a lot like Marilyn Monroe, obviously the hair, they got the little, uh, whatever, um, the mole right here on, on her cheek. Um, so she looks the part, for the most part, she sounds, and I think she's going to give arguably her best performance of her career so far. I think from a from a from a direction standpoint, I think the film looks great. I think it's directed by Andrew Dominic. And there was one tagline throughout the trailer it said uh seen by or what was it? Um view, it was like viewed by all, seen by none. Or sorry, watched by all, seen by none. Basically referring to everybody knew Marilyn Monroe, everybody watched her in the movies, but nobody really saw her nobody kind of knew the struggle that she was going through um and 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 everything like that so i'm very very excited i love biopics i loved elvis i saw it again a couple couple days ago but i think that this could be better and i talked about that i think this film has the potential to possibly be the best netflix original film we've seen yet now that is a tall order you know I've, I've, i've 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 been a little bit critical of netflix at times and some of their original content But I have to recognize they've made, while there has been some content that I haven't felt very strongly about, they have made many great films. Marriage Story, um, which won an Oscar. Uh, The Irishman. I didn't love The Irishman, but I, I, I can appreciate... It's obviously directed by Martin Scorsese and, and it, it definitely... I, I don't think it won any Oscars, but I think... It, it might have. I, my my memory isn't completely accurate on that. But I know it, it got nominated for an Oscar. Uh, and many other films that I'm probably not even remembering. Of course, the TV show Stranger Things, Ozark, uh, shows like that. So they have some great Academy Award winning, Emmy winning con- original content. And I think this potentially can be the best netflix film netflix original film that we've seen yet will that happen who knows that remains to be seen but i i was a huge fan of this trailer and as i'm seeing more and more more marketing more trailers more footage more photos i am just getting increasingly more excited and i like how there's going to be periods of this film where it's going to be in black and white i'm a sucker for black and white films and there's also going to be periods where there's going to be color. And I think we're, we we could be seeing something similar go on with Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer will, of course, we know for a fact, there will at least be sections in the film that will be in black and white, but maybe there's going to be points of the film where um, the film will, will introduce color and we'll actually see everything going on. And I was actually talking to a friend of mine and he brought up a good theory that they could introduce the color of Oppenheimer after the atomic bomb goes off, which I think would actually be pretty cool. Or it could be the reverse. Maybe the film starts off, you see color, and then maybe once the bomb goes off, maybe everything turns to black and white. But uh, I'm getting sidetracked here. But I, I, I'm I, very much looking forward to Blonde. I'm looking forward to seeing Anna de Adrian Brody is in this film. I didn't even know that. And, um, excuse me, there's another actor. who was in The Irishman, I can't remember his name. He also had a uh, supporting role in uh, The Irishman, and he was a whole, I don't know how, why I'm even remembering this, but I know he was in Observe and Report, that film with Seth Rogen. He uh, he played he played the officer that like was looking down on uh, Seth Rogen. He's a good actor as well, and I, I like the uh, aspect ratio of the trailer. I, I imagine that's probably what how the movie's going to be presented. Um, I, I don't know the exact aspect ratio, but let me know in the comments below, or are you guys excited for Blonde? Uh, if you've seen the trailer, let me know what you thought about it in the comments below. So I've heard a lot of people tell me through the years and I've heard through, you know, through media that if you're trying to get into show business and film and television and whatnot, a really important film that influenced, uh, cinema is a film called Citizen Kane. Uh, directed and starred by Orson Welles. It's a very, very old film. Um, the movie that came out a couple of years ago called Mank, which I very much enjoy, that was all about the writer of that film, Herman Mankiewicz, and showing his, his struggle with alcohol abuse and how how his process went into writing that film and his relationship with Orson Welles. And I can actually appreciate that film a lot more now that I've actually watched Citizen Kane, um, which, yes, I've, I've seen Citizen Kane, and I... I'll admit it was kind of a tough watch just because the film is, of course, very dated at this point. It came out literally in the year 1940. That was right around when World War II, I think a year, I think World War II started in 1939. So I think it was basically a year into World War II. So the world was, of course, in a crisis situation and it was just a very different time, of course, different, different point of filmmaking as well. Uh... I don't want to seem like I don't know my history with cinema, but I believe we were, I, I know cinema had already transitioned from silent films to uh, films with, uh, with sound, but I, I still think it was very early in that transition. I could be wrong about that. Um, but yeah, Orson Welles, uh, I think he was a great actor. Um, I think it was the first film where a director had, a lot of creative control and they weren't held back by the studio which we do we still do see that today studio studios definitely still have some influence and in authority on certain films whereas some directors on maybe smaller films indie films will get a little bit more leverage to kind of tell the story that they want but it was the first kind of he Orson Wells was the first director to really kind of like go just go all out tell whatever story he wanted do it in any sort of way he wanted while also starring in the film as well so Interesting film. Um, there was elements I enjoyed. Uh, it, it did definitely, um, the run. T- I could feel the runtime at, at certain points. And it, it definitely was not an easy watch. I will just say that. Of course, I- I'm watching a film from a very, very different point of time and in history. So, of course, I'm not going to appreciate it the same. Uh, but yeah, I just thought I would mention that. But transitioning, I want to talk about uh, John Krasinski and his future with Marvel and potentially more specifically him playing Reed Richards of the Fantastic Four so John Krasinski was on Jimmy Kimmel recently and for those of you who have seen this interview you'll you know where I'm going with this but if you haven't uh, he was on Jimmy Kimmel and it was really the first time he's publicly talked about um, playing Reed Richards and Jimmy of course As expected, which I'm sure John probably knew, Jimmy Kimmel was going to ask him questions about that. Not only Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness, but also, of course, on the future, the possible future, if there is, for John Krasinski playing Reed Richards in the highly anticipated Fantastic Four solo film that's going to be coming up in November of 2024. And this is what... um, this comes from The Direct. They said, while chatting with Fallon about Marvel Studios' announcements at San Diego Comic-Con in 2020, Krasinski admitted that he couldn't say anything about the upcoming Fantastic Four movie that starts Phase 6. Although he joked with Fallon about being desperate to learn any information regarding the movie, he said he wouldn't know until right before they're about to shoot. Um, this is interesting. I don't know if that's, if that's the best way to word it. Because I actually I, I watched this. I saw this happen. It definitely seemed a little suspicious. Uh, that because if, if he wasn't doing it, he would he probably just say like, look, it was fun to do the cameo, but I have no idea what Marvel's is doing. You know what I mean? But he kind of like entertained it a little bit Um this is actually beat for beat by beat what they were saying to each other. So Fallon said Comic-Con, they just announced all these movies and they announced that there's going to be a new Fantastic Four movie. Krasinski said, yes, Fallon, you're not allowed to say anything. Krasinski, nope, Fallon, I'm not allowed to really ask you. Krasinski, that's right, Fallon. But you think you think? John said, you, th- you think, Fallon, do you think, could could one think? Krasinski, seriously, what have you heard? I need to know. Uh, Fallon, they don't, they don't tell you anything. Krasinski, they don't tell you anything. Fallon, not until right before you're about to shoot. And then Krasinski agreed and said, that's right. And then they asked Krasinski about his wife, Emily Blunt, who's also been rumored to play opposite of him uh, as Sue Storm. And uh, Fallon said, and there's also a rumor that your wife, Emily Blunt, will play Sue Storm. Krasinski, oh, Fallon, you think? Do you think? Krasinski, Jimmy, I'm going to tell you on your show, it's... And then he did this sort of, like, he was joking, but he made this sort of, like, he made it seem like he got shot by a blow dart, because if there's a... People, actors always joke that Marvel is, like, watching you and they're ready to, like, and, like, get you with the blow dart if you reveal any spoilers. So, once he said that, he was, of course, being funny joking around, but I think that conversation went on way too long. Like, Especially if he isn't involved in the film, I think he entertained it so much to the point that I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I'm honestly almost convinced that he might be playing Reed. And like, look, if he is, that's awesome. You know, I'm uh, I'm excited, but I'm not one of these people that 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 believe he's the only actor that can play this character moving forward. There was reports that Penn Badgley, the actor from You was apparently in negotiations to play that character i thought that would have been a fine choice as well but if krasinski is playing reed richards i'm uh, i'm a fan of it and i'm on board um i didn't think it was going to happen to be quite honest with you and it still might not happen this is nothing official but i think he entertained that conversation way longer than he even needed to which to me is kind of a signal and a sign but anyways, guys, let me know what you think. Do you want Krasinski to play Reed Richards? Are are you somebody that that only wants to see him play the character? Do you not want to see him play the character? Or are you kind of like me? Like, if they if he is Reed Richards, great. If he's not, no big deal either. You know what I'm saying? There's other actors out there. He's not the only one. Uh, let me know in the comments below. That's going to wrap up today's episode a little bit shorter than my last one. I think that my last episode was 50 minutes long, whereas this is 40 it's going to clock in probably at 41 minutes. Um, but yeah, if you stuck around this song, thank you for watching. I want to remind you, if you uh, don't have the time to watch this on YouTube, you can always listen to the podcast on all audio platforms. I'm talking Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and all the rest of uh, the audio platforms. All right, guys. Thank you for watching. I wish you all good health, happiness and everything in between. Have a great day.